Thank you, Megan. How's everybody doing? Happy New Year's Eve. Hope everybody had a great Christmas. Everybody have great Christmases? Who traveled like for Christmas, like left the state traveled? A couple of us. Okay, well, cool. You got, and, and I guess I know like the weather was coming in and, and oh my gosh, like the whole rest of the nation was panicking. So um, uh, my name's Eric. I'm the lead pastor here. Before, uh, before we get into uh, just kind of talking through what it means to say goodbye to 2017 and then just in a few hours say hello to 2018, I want to, guys give, I want to give you guys an update. Um, for those of you guys who weren't with us on Christmas Eve, you know, I had been hinting at we were going to do something that our church has never done before. And if you were not here, uh, what we did on, on 2018 Christmas or 2017 Christmas Eve is um, we talked about what it meant to be sort of a people who, who live in something called the Jubilee year and how God is a, is a God of, of freedom. Jubilee is sort of a holistic vision of freedom. And in the interest of that, we wanted to see what we could do to liberate people from some of the things that are holding them back. And so basically what we did is at the end of our Christmas Eve gatherings, we had a bunch of white buckets around. And, and I challenged us all to, if you were in a place where you could be generous, to be generous. And, and, we were, and, and this was not anything that was going to go to E3's operational budget. This was only stuff that was going to come just into the buckets and out to people who had needs. And I'm so, so thrilled, like, to let you guys know that, like, we had uh, over 50 different people at least. You know, some of the gifts were anonymous in cash, so we don't really know. We had over 50 people give gifts, and as of right now, we have covered every need that was submitted on Christmas Eve. Every need, right? So uh, you guys responded, and, and that actually got me thinking over the last few days like, I just want to pause and kind of take us back a, a few months and just think about what this community has done, uh, not on a Sunday, right? And so, uh, in my mind, it really goes back to when the hurricane hit Texas, if you guys remember. And we took, a, uh, we took an offering that Sunday, and I can't remember, it was like $2,000, $3,000 worth of gift cards. We went and bought all these gift cards at Walmart, and then we sent them all out, right? And then we got our gift of the hurricane shortly thereafter, um, and we got spared most of that. But we were still like, op we opened this place up to try and be here for people. And then during Advent, every single week, we had some kind of tangible response, you know, either writing letters to prisoners that will be delivered in January at a Kairos weekend, uh, building wheelchair ramps, right? And then just uh, responding in various different ways. And you guys have done every single thing that has been asked of you. And I want to say, like, good job, church. Good job. Like, like this stuff to... to to my mind sometimes, you know, what we do on a Sunday and what we talk about on a Sunday is one thing, but what we live out Monday through Saturday, that's where the rubber meets the road. And you guys have taken this stuff from Sunday and have taken it into your lives. So good job. I'm so proud of us as a community. And I just needed to say that, okay? Okay, cool. All right. So, so, um, over the next uh, couple days, right, uh, you will most likely uh, find me, at the, as you would at the end of every year, um, probably going to some coffee shop, 
uh, like red eye um, or in my house maybe, and I would, I would have my backpack with me and um, I would take my backpack down and I would begin to sort of go through things that helped me um, say goodbye to one year and hello to a new one. And what I'm going to do is kind of walk you through some of that, what, looks like, what that looks like in my life. But before I do that, I want to share with you a little bitty phrase that changed my life just a few years ago. It's a, it's a short little phrase, and it doesn't seem like much until you really, really start to unpack it. The phrase is simply this. Salvation is a life. Everyone just say that together. Salvation is a life. And that might kind of seem like a duh thing, like, you know, if, you're, you know, if you've never really thought about that. But what that really gets at to me is a lot of us think that the word salvation is something that happens that we experience when we die if we've made the right choices. Or, or it, it is something that is somehow uh, relegated to Sunday morning church things where we get on our church face and our church clothes and we put our best face forward. But what I have come to uh, learn and wrestle through is this phrase is that salvation is something that I'm meant to live out 24-7. What I do in my everyday, nobody's looking life, that is where salvation happens. Not in some special church compartment of my life. Salvation is a life. And to the degree that I'm not living out that well, then I'm not really tasting salvation. And so what I'm going to share with you guys today in terms of how I close down a year and how I open up a new year, this stuff matters to me on a spiritual level because the way I arrange my life, the choices I make with my time, my life, all of that contributes to me living a salvation life. Does that make sense? So this is not just like, oh, cool productivity hacks or just good ideas with Eric. This stuff matters in a spiritual, vital way. So, so in the next couple days, like I said, I'll sit down um, and I will be with my backpack and, and I'll get out just all the stuff that I use to kind of shut down uh, 2017. And I'm just going to share with you what those things are. Um, I sit around... And I will take out all manner of, of things that I have used over the past year. This is like a magic bag. There's just no telling what I'm going to find in here. Um, and things that I will use in the upcoming year. And I just want to share with you what some of, they, some of them are and why they matter. I think I got one. Okay, that's probably most of it. Okay, so um, I take out my journals uh, from the past year. And this year, I, I managed to fill up two of these things and, and then a little bit of this one. These are my, my journals that I write in every day. Um, and uh, I, I'll sit and I'll start to look at them, you know, and I'll, and I'll, I'll just review them um, and, and read about what happened. I'll, I'll also, like, sit down uh, with a, a good pen and I also have with me my first journals for the new year. And so these aren't open yet. They'll be opened either sometime this afternoon or sometime tomorrow. And I, I keep it this way, like, because opening these things up is like, is, is, it's a ceremony for me. It's a ritual, right? And, and there's something about this that I'm like, no, it's not time yet. It's not time to open up the journals because it's not 2018 yet. And this is one of these things that um, 
we look at and we go, well, that's just silly. It's ritualistic. And aren't we just supposed to not be ritualistic? But listen, I want to kind of challenge your thinking if you think that way. And I want to start off by, by saying it, uh, by telling you some stories of, of how rituals impact people who uh, perform at, at some kind of level for a living. First of all, I want to tell you about musicians. Um, I was a professional musician for a while, uh, did a lot of worship leading in my life. And every time I played, right before it was time to play, I, had the same, I did the exact same thing, which I would sit up here and I have you know, a little board with all these pedals that do different things. And I would step on every single pedal to make sure it turned on and just make sure everything's working. And then right before we start to play, I would make sure that my guitar was up and I would just do like a light little chuck on the strings to make sure sound is coming through it. It was a last minute check to just let know, hey, everything's functioning. Every, I did that every single time. It was just the way I prepared. Musicians are pretty notorious for different routines and rituals that get them ready to play. But athletes, professional athletes, they take this normally to a brand new level. So I wanna to talk to you about some rituals of some pretty famous athletes. This first guy is Wade Boggs. He's a Hall of Fame third baseman, played for the Yankees and the Red Sox. And uh, 12 All-Star Games, uh, part of a championship team in 96. So this is what Wade Boggs did before every game. He would field exactly 150 ground balls. Had to be 150 ground balls. Then he would start his batting practice at exactly, if it was an evening game, exactly 5.17 p.m. That's when it would start. Um, he would want, run wind sprints at exactly 7.17 p.m. Exactly. And uh, he has the uh, nickname. Anybody know what his nickname is? Any baseball geeks here? His nickname was a chicken man. Because his pregame meal, every game, was chicken. Nothing else. Never varied chicken, chicken, chicken. So let me show you a picture of another guy named Michael Jordan. Maybe you've heard of this guy. Anybody know what Jordan's kind of ritual was or his thing? His shorts. His shorts. He wore his training shorts from the University of North Carolina for every game he ever played in the NBA. And, and, and actually, uh, <laughs> I don't know if this is true or not, but some people are like, well, and to cover up those training shorts, he had to wear his NBA shorts long, which uh, if you're you know, around in the 80s like I was, the NBA shorts were short shorts until Jordan. And Jordan just did it to cover up the ritual that he would use every single game. And then all of a sudden, everyone's like, Michael Jordan's wearing long shorts. Everybody wears long shorts. They still do today. Um, this guy's Rafael Nadal, dominant uh, tennis player, okay? Here's some of his rituals. Um, he takes a cold shower 45 minutes before every match. He towels down after every point, even an ace or a double fault. He points the labels of his like Gatorade or drink, his sports, uh, sports uh, drink bottles. He points the labels uh, facing out, all uniform, and he refuses to stand up from his chair before his opponent does. Just rituals, right? Last one I'll share with you. Uh, I love this one probably most of all, playoff beards. Started in, the, started in the NHL in the 80s. The New York Islanders started it, and they won four straight Stanley Cups. 
And then at that point, everyone's like, man, it seems like playoff beards are a pretty good idea. And so now you actually see it filtering into other sports. So what are these rituals all about? You know, to a certain degree, it's, it's, it's silly. They can spill into superstition, which we're not about or we're not advocating. But what I find interesting and what I am all about is that uh, science and, and, and different people who are just wise about these things will say that, that performing the same action every time before, like, say, I play music or, you know, before Wade Boggs takes the field, it switches a switch on in your soul, in your brain to say it is time to perform. And this is this weird dance that we have, like, where our bodies and our minds are not actually separate entities. Our body has effect, uh, an effect on our mind, and our mind has an effect on our body. And so when we perform something like just like running wind sprints at 717, that's not just running the wind sprints at 717. What is happening physiologically in our minds is that we are preparing ourselves to execute and to do things at a high level. You know, for me, when I come here to preach on Sunday mornings, which I learned this from Pastor Mark, uh, my Sundays are exactly the same. I do the same thing every Sunday. And it, it is a switch that tells my body, it is time for me to do something important. It's time for me to have my game on, my ducks in a row, and it's time for me to execute. And so when I talk about like doing something at the end of every year, this is telling my mind and my heart and my life and my soul that it is time to do something. And in my case, it is a time to put to bed things that have happened in 2017 and to wake up to things that will happen in 2018. You know, New Year's resolutions are kind of like, I could take them or leave them. But I do take very seriously reflecting on what's happened in my life and what I want to see happen in 2018. That's why this stuff matters. That's why I do the same thing every December 30, 31st, January 1st. So I take these journals. I read through them. What did I do? What did I miss? And I open up the new ones and I'll transfer information to them and I'll write down goals in them because that's what prepares my heart and my mind to actually act in the new year. Uh, if you guys know me at all, um, you know I'm a big J.R.O. Tolkien fan. You know, I watch Lord of the Rings uh, just about every year as a family, um, and I've read The Hobbit a lot of times, uh, awful movies, but it's a great book. If you've ever read the book, there's this one great scene where um, this party, they're getting ready to go through this really dangerous forest, forest called uh, Mirkwood. Yeah, okay, I'm geeky, get over it. So as they're going in, uh, they have this, this guy named Gandalf, right? And he's trying to give them instructions and he keeps telling them over, before you go into this, he says, don't leave the path. If you've read the books, you remember this. He's like, don't leave the path. And then like 30 seconds later, he's like, remember, I told you, don't leave the path. And then they get into like this dangerous force and they can hear his voice still in the, don't leave the path. What I want to do now is, is before we kind of turn you guys loose is uh, I want to give you just a few things that I would tell you that if you close down your 2017, if you, if you are making any sort of effort to reflect and before you go into 2018, I want to give you three things that I would say 
Do not go into 2018 without remembering these three realities. So this is my version of don't leave the path. These are the things I was like, don't go into 2018 without remembering these critical, critical realities. All right? So the first one that I want to walk you through is the idea and this truth that you were made to grow. You were designed for growth. You were designed to be transformed, the Bible says, into the likeness of Christ. You were, you were designed to not stay where you're at. You have planted in you this seed of God's uh, image, and it's up to us to cultivate that image into a likeness that resembles Jesus, but you're designed for it. Wherever you're at right now, on December 31st, 2017, there is something inside you that is predisposed to be different in a good way on December 31st, 2018. Let me just kind of show you how this plays out in the Bible. There's a guy, early church leader named Paul. He writes this letter to a small church in Philippi, and he writes these words in Philippians chapter 3, if you have a Bible. Uh, this is how he puts it. Uh, I want to know Christ. He's talking about Jesus Christ. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the, from the dead. Now there's a lot there, but here's what I want you to focus on. Two things. First of all, this is written at the end of Paul's life. Paul has actually been a Christ follower for a long time now. And yet somehow at the end of his life, He's still using this language of longing. I want to know. I want to know. There's still something else out there. And then even the, the verbs that he uses, and the verbs are that way in the Greek of saying, I want to become, I'm becoming like him, attaining to this idea of resurrection. That's not the way a lot of our minds work maybe in, in church, that we think that somehow uh, when we, we make a decision to become part of God's family, that there's just like this switch, and now we are who we are, but can we ever grow beyond that? And here's a church leader at the end of his life saying, there's still something out there for me to get to. There's still someplace more that I can grow to. He is designed for spiritual growth, and so are you, and so am I. And then he just reinforces this in verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained all this. I mean, Paul, you're in the Bible for crying out loud. You'd think that out of anybody, Paul could be like, I got this thing. And aren't I awesome? But Paul's like saying, no, I'm not there yet. I haven't already arrived at my goal. But he says, what? What's the text say? I what? Press on. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. God saved Paul for growth. And Paul's like, I'm gonna take you up on that. And he says, I want to press on. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I've got those, the, those words actually highlighted in my Bible. Because I don't know if you're anything like me, but I mean, like, I uh, am still very far from perfect. That's my family. 
But the whole notion of I can change, I can grow. When I grasped that, something cracked open inside my heart and I was like, whoa, the things that I struggle with, I can actually grow beyond if I allow God to help me. And that works for you too. No matter where you're at today, no matter what baggage you came in here with, you are designed for growth. Do not go into 2018 without remembering you are capable of more. You're capable of more. God wants that for you. Paul writes it. Whatever you're struggling with, there can be more. So there's a few questions that I would just kind of um, uh, unpack with this. Um, first question is kind of like, where, where are you at with growth? You know, where, where do you think you're at with, with growth? Can we just put those questions up, please? Thanks. What will be true of you in 12 months? What do you want to be true of you in 12 months? What about three years? What about five years? Answering these questions, if you've never asked them to yourself before, can change your life. Nobody asked me these questions until I was like in my mid-20s. I just thought life was just something you lived and you kind of dabbled a little bit here and you worked and you did stuff. And then finally I sat down with somebody and they said, hey, what do you, what do you want your life to look at in, like in five years? I was like, oh, wow. What do, you, what do you want to be true of you in 12 years? You want more peace? Do you want less anger? I don't know what it is. Do you want a better job? Do you want to be more loving? What is it? Somebody told me once, you know, if you aim for nothing, you'll hit it every time. You're designed for growth. Next question. Uh, this was a, is your life currently on track to make that a reality? You know, you can say you want to do something. I can say that, for instance, I wanted to run a half marathon or I wanted to do this, but was I doing the things that actually would contribute to that or was I just crossing my fingers and saying, man, I hope, I hope, I hope. So what do you want to be true of you in 12 months? Is, in your, is your life patterned that way to make that a reality? Next question, huh, so then what needs to change? What needs to change? When I decided to become serious about becoming a musician, I had to surrender time that I would rather be maybe watching TV or doing something else. I had to surrender time and, and embrace the idea of practicing for hours a day. Somebody told me once, you don't drift into, you know, a salvation life. You don't drift into these things, you have to make intentional decisions. What, what needs to change about your life? And then to get specific, for those of us who call E3 home, what, uh, where are you at in E3's discipleship process? You know, we arrange things here, at life at E3, because we believe that at the heart of the gospel is growth. So are you engaged in, in worshiping or being a part of a growth group or serving because those we've found are the three big buckets that cause and, and contribute to spiritual growth. So where are you at? Like, are you worshiping with your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Or, or, or are you not engaged in a growth group? Because I would suggest to you that from my experience and from what I've read and studied, uh, if you're not engaged in worshiping, serving, or community, 
growth is going to be a tough thing for you. This is. It just is. God designed us for these essential things. That's the first reality I want you to embrace. You are designed for growth. Don't go into 2018 without it. The second thing I want you to know before you go into 2018 is you are designed for mission. You are not just redeemed and saved and loved so that you can sit in an easy chair and just, oh gosh, I just, God loves me so much. This is awesome. God, from the beginning of his story, when he rescues people, the first thing he gives them is a mission and a purpose. Let me just show you what this looks like in the, in the First Testament. The Old Testament uh, is what we call Isaiah 49. God is speaking about the nation of Israel. And he says, look, this is God speaking. It is too small a thing for you. He's talking about the nation of Israel. It's too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. From the beginning of God's story, he's like, if you're a part of this, you have a mission to be a light to the world. And Jesus comes on uh, the scene and says these similar words in Matthew chapter 5. He's like, you are the light of the world. Anybody ever heard this, these terms before? You're the light of the world. A town built on a hill can't be hidden, and neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives what? Light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your what? Light shine before others so that they can see your good deeds and glorify your Father. You have a mission already. You were saved for that. You were saved for impact. But it gets slightly more even uh, specific than that. This, again, Paul writes this to a different church, and he says it this way. Hear these words from Ephesians 4, uh, another letter to a church. Paul says, to each one of us individually, each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Grace is a, a word that simply means a gift. A gift has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it's said, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. And he says, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended. Come on, Paul, be a little clear here, please. Uh, he ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And listen, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for what? Works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. What Paul is getting at, if I could paraphrase, is the reality is that every single person in the body of Christ has been given a gift. We call them spiritual gifts. There is something that you do naturally that has been given to you by God that you will just, man, you shine when you do that gift. Paul categorizes them in five ways there, pastors, evangelists, teachers, prophets, right? But there's other ways these folks up here, gifted in music. We have folks in our community that are just gifted in sorting out uh, problems with processes or administrative problems. Growth group leaders who are gifted with the, the ability to compassionately care for people. Right? If you are sitting in this room, if you're, if you're sucking air today, you have a spiritual gift. You may not know what it is, but you got one. 
one of the foundational bedrock truths is nobody has no spiritual gifts. And nobody has all of them. I don't have all of them. I've got just a couple. And nobody in your world has all of them either, including you. And that's why we need each other. You were saved for mission. You were saved for impact in a grand scheme. But you're also saved for a very, very tangible thing. And that is impact in your local church, in your local community. So here's a couple questions. First question, do you know your spiritual gifts? What are they? You know? Um, I'll tell you, uh, if you don't, you can just look up with the Googles. Um, spiritual gift inventory will take you to them. But we're also going to walk you through this. We have something called Demonstrate, which is just an in-depth look of, of passions, strengths, gifts. We'll be offering that in the spring. If you don't know what they are, man, find them out. They'll change your life. My life was changed when I found out that I had the gift of, like, leading worship or, you know, playing music, creative communication, whatever you know, my life changed when I found out that I had a purpose in the church, right? Second question, uh, where will you plug in? Where are you plugging in? Or are you just warming your particular seat on a Sunday? Or, or are you serving vitally at E3? You know, we have areas that you could plug in, E3 Kids, Hospitality Ministry, Tech Arts, Music, Ministries around here that, like, if you're gifted in that area, let us know. We need you. Where's your impact? Where's your impact? If that doesn't, that kind of takes it outside of these walls. Where do you just kind of see, like, special things happening in your life? Where you're like, man, I just was just kind of floating along, and all of a sudden, but, like, what happened seemed like a really, really cool thing, way, way beyond what I thought was capable of happening. Where's your impact? Is it reaching out to your friends at work? Is it leading your growth group? Where that is could be a place that God is trying to nudge you and say, look, this is your mission. This is your impact. The last thing, and probably this is the most important thing uh, to go into 2018 remembering, is that you are radically loved by God. You are radically loved irrevocably, unchangeably loved by God. At the low point of the, the nation of Israel's journey in the Old Testament, um, the prophet Jeremiah wrote these words to the nation of Israel, just reminding them of what God said. God said, look, the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. That's the type of God that we pursue here at E3. A God that says, look, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I've not taken my love from you. No matter what you've done in the past, no matter what, you've, what your 2017 looked like, guess what? God's love for you never wavered. You may have stopped experiencing it vitally, but never doubt that your father never stopped loving you. When Jesus starts his ministry, and this is so important to remember, when he starts his ministry according to the gospel of Mark, 
uh, he's baptized for the very first thing. And uh, this is what the, the account says, that when uh, Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw the heaven being torn open and uh, the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove. And then a voice comes from the heaven saying, you are my son whom I love and with you I'm well pleased. And I like to say this all the time. Please remember, this is before Jesus has done anything. This is before the healings, before the feeding of thousands of people, before the teaching. The first thing that Jesus knows before he starts ministry is, I'm God's son, whom he loves. And the reason this is so important is that if you forget that you're loved by God, your mission will be jeopardized because you will start to get, try to get love from the things you do instead of who you are. If you, if you miss the part that God loves you, you will become so desperate to be the best growth group leader or the best worship leader so that people will love you that it'll just get twisted. So before anything else, embrace your identity as men and women and children that are beloved of God, radically loved by him, saved for a purpose and designed for spiritual growth, but also loved. It all flows out of love. So questions, how are you experiencing God's love right now? How are you experiencing God's love? Are you putting yourself in a place where you can feel that love of your Father in heaven? Some of us, it's out in nature. Some of it's in growth groups. Some of it's, of it's worship. God wants you to know how much he loves you. How are you experiencing that? And the second question is, how are you passing that on to other people? It flows into you. It's designed to flow out of you as well. Don't let God's love flow into you and then never pass it on to somebody else. Passing it on actually usually just unlocks more of that love to come into your life. Are you showing other people that they are loved of God? And then, I just found this question compelling for me this week. How are you healing? How are you healing? But 20 years of living... 30 years, 40 years, man, you'll, you'll pick up some junk, amen? You'll pick up some junk. You'll pick up some brokenness. And some of that brokenness keeps us from experiencing God's love. And, and therefore, everything kind of gets turned around and twisted. So some of us need to kind of take the real, make, embrace the realization of like, I need to heal from stuff in my past. And that might involve just some intense, like I said, growth group experiences. It might involve going to see a professional counselor. It might involve like, look, um, I, I know God loves me intellectually, but, but experiencing that love is, is a challenge for me. Can you help me? Can you help me? But healing matters because love matters. So uh, as I close, I want to I want to kind of return back to Paul's words in Philippians three. Um, Paul goes on in that statement, and and uh, he tells everybody 
Join together in following my example. Join together in following my example of pushing on, straining. Follow my example, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eye on those who live as we do. Look for the people around you who are living this thing out and go, man, I need more of what that person has. I need more of what that person has. And then he draws this contrast. For as often I've told you before, and I'll tell you again, even with tears, many live as the enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savor from, from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how I would sum that up in basis of what we're talking about today. That's just a reminder to me of like, I cannot control what other people do with their lives. I can control what I do with mine. So if God is challenging me to grow, if God is challenging me to have impact, if God is challenging me to heal and to experience his love, that's great. There's gonna be people in my life who don't sign on to that same, same agenda. But that doesn't excuse me from what God's called me to. In this culture, in this era, come on, it's really easy for us to focus on the everybody else and what they're doing or not doing. Paul says, look, there's people out there. That's just what they do. What your job is, is to take care of yourself and look at the people who are around you who are living out this idea of pushing on. So don't get fixated on other people. You're in charge of your life. So, just real quick, I have these things, right? And, and what I want to do is walk you through uh, real quick what some key practices are and some suggestions as you shut down 2017, as you look into 2018. If salvation is a life, question one, what are you going to aim for? Again, aim for nothing, you're going to hit it every time. What will you purpose your life and arrange your life to be? Everybody's called to this, not just the special pastor people. Everybody is. Second question, what new practices will you engage with? Remember I said, this, you don't drift into this. You don't say, man, I'm going to become more loving. You don't cross your fingers. Uh, I, still think of, I still think of one of those foundational truths that, that we talked about in, in, in the fall. Uh, everybody has a plan, Mike Tyson said, until you get punched in the face, right? Cross your fingers. As soon as life comes at you, it goes out the window. So what practices will you engage with to take you where you want to go? Here's a few that I have engaged with or that I will um, suggest maybe you do. Uh, read your Bible. Anybody ever read your Bible, like read the whole thing through just look up a reading plan. Maybe I want to know more of the story I live in. So read your Bible for a year. It's not that hard. Maybe 15 minutes a day. Can you take 15 minutes? I can find 15 minutes. Maybe get a devotional. Um, this was my devotion for 2017. Every year I pick a new one. This is one that I've done before. Um, but I'm going to do it again this year just because I kind of just feel drawn to it. Uh, so get a devotional, something that points your mind and your heart towards God in the morning. Serve somewhere. Eat three kids, tech arts, music, coffee, whatever. Get involved. 
Make life about something more than yourself. Lead something. Some of you, some of you folks here have gifts of leadership and aptitudes. I mean, get involved and make a difference. Ask for a theme or a word. There's some friends of mine here in my growth group. They do this every New Year's Day, and, and I have kind of started to in, uh, engage in this practice at all. At the end of the year, I said, God, what do you want, what's, what's the theme of this year going to be about? I'm going to tell you. I'm, can I tell you guys what mine is? It's joy. Because I am joy deficient. I am uh, remedial joy, right? And last year was love. God was like, you're remedial love. And I think I took a couple steps forward in that. And now God said, hey, next up for you, Case, is joy. That's my word for the year. Um, and then a practice, maybe silence, maybe celebration, studying, giving, confession, worship, all of these things. Remember, salvation is a life. How you arrange your life matters. That's how you live this thing out. And the last question I want to leave you with as we go to communion is how will you start? How will you start? And this is critical because some of us, we feel maybe that tug of God and we're like, well, I'm going to do all of those things tomorrow. Please don't. Please don't. Because more than likely by January 5th, you will fail. Here's what you can do. What one thing can you do for 30 days? What one thing can you commit to for 30 days? That's about a month. And then at the end of that month, you look at the next month and go, what's the next thing I can do for, for 30 days? Start one thing at a time. You don't need to do everything at once. Just start. The journey of a thousand miles. How's it begin? One step. One step. So, I love the fact that the gift, the supper that God left us, that Christ left us, um, I think it really exemplifies this idea that salvation is a life. You know, Jesus uh, celebrates what we call the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper or communion. He celebrates that as part of his culture with things that are, that bread that was made just by hand and, and things that God did with wheat and stuff and, and grape juice and wine. And he said, he used these things that are just everyday things. And he said, look, there's something special I want you guys to do and remember me by. And so we're going to move towards the table. And as you move towards the table today, I, I, would, I would maybe challenge you to say, look, as I go, may this be a, a sort of a commitment between God and me that I'm going to point myself towards something in 2018. Mission, impact, growth, maybe healing. And let it start with the remembrance of what Jesus did for me to allow this all to be possible, amen? So the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was having a meal with his closest friends. And the scriptures say that um, he took some bread and uh, 
He broke the bread. This is really little bread, but I'm going to break it anyway. And he took the bread and he passed it to his friends and he said, take this and eat for this is my body, which is broken for you. The wounds that Jesus received so that we could be redeemed and given the opportunity to grow and become like him. And then after supper, he took the cup. And after he had given thanks, the scripture says, he told his friends to take this and pass it around. And he said, drink this. This is my blood poured out for you, for us, in the new covenant between God and his people. He said, God will never take his love from us. If you're here today, you are invited to this table, not as a statement of how awesome you are, but how much you need God in your life. 